And welcome to the Glacially Musical Podcast, the most insulting podcast in the business. Today, I am lucky enough to be joined by Alexander... Sent- oh, just Alex. Alex Eldorado of Blood of Indigo. It's Italian. I, I know some people have some trouble pronouncing it. It's uh, Centorami. Alex Centorami. But, Centorami. Uh, okay. I speak three languages. Italian is not among them. I apologize. <laughs> no worries. No worries. What I have learned over the past, like, however the hell long it is I've been doing this, I am used to be really good at pronouncing names on the fly. And now that is just gone. I, I see these names and I go, crap. We're just going to say the first name and then bam. <laughs> That's the yep. standard, right? Uh, I'm going to, from now on, it's going to be my pal Alex from Blood of Indigo. I like that one too. You might be my pal Nick. <laughs> and we can be the tag team champions. We can walk out and we can hang on, hang have on, our hang own on, entrance on. music. Okay, if we're going to do tag team champions, we've got to be very specific here. What, 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 what wrestling uh, promotion? Uh, so are we thinking like NWA territories? At least um okay so let's be in like i mean like being in like the like the new york uh territory would be kind of boring because that's the one that bought everybody out i'm just gonna Um. say there's a place (laughs) called the chase and i don't know if you've ever heard of it but there was this thing called wrestling at the chase which was a big sunday for about 25 years in professional wrestling where all the wrestlers were so excited to do uh it's just a few miles from my house here in st louis oh that's awesome and at one point in time, the NWA was actually headquartered out of St. Louis, Missouri. Oh wow, that's really cool. At least that's what that. a friend of mine. That's what a friend of mine said, who I choose to believe. Wow, I, I know the NWA is going now with. Um, I think Billy Corrigan's running it now, but it's got like it's more. Wait, like wait, a, Billy Corrigan from the Smashing Pumpkins or a different? Yeah, Billy yeah, the the Smashing Pumpkins, Billy Corrigan. He's running uh, the new incarnation of the NWA which is NWA power. I think that's what they call it now. And then they Frankly, have- I, don't, I, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not like, um, because the ter- in the territory days, like in the, I believe in like the 70s and 80s, they had like all these different territories. And then uh, the McMahon family bought out all the territories. Then Basically. WWF and all that fun stuff. But yeah, the NWA is going uh, now. I, I'm not sure about all like the, things in between that got to where Billy Corgan is running it now, but um, there's a movie. If, if, if this becomes a success, there's a movie in there. Oh, for sure. There's, there's definitely a lot of history with uh, the NWA, but um, it's not, now it's like an independent wrestling promotion. Now they have it. Billy Corgan's running it and they have um, smaller shows. It's kind of like got that studio wrestling feel that they used to have like in like the, um, which is kind of cool. Like I, I, I like that. I liked that. Yeah. I liked it when the the wrestlers lied to me, told me it was a sport, told me they were serious, and everybody thought that Cherry Lawler really did break Andy Kaufman's neck. Oh, for real. That 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 is so cool to me. Like, um, I, I I grew up with wrestling, like, because I'm I'm like a huge wrestling super fan. <laughs> um, I, I was some... I, I was a huge super fan until about ninety two or ninety three. And then I was an ex-super fan throughout the rest of the 90s. And I gave up around 2000, 2005. Yeah, that was, that was around when I became a fan. Like, what I was like, because I'm 26. So I was a fan when I was like 10, 11 years old. And 
started getting into wrestling at that time. And then like my parents would say things like, oh, you don't know what real wrestling is. <laughs> you don't know what real wrestling is. You're watching John Cena. You're watching all these, all these guys, but you don't know what it's like to know about wrestling until you see Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes go at it. When you have everything that represented wealth in the eighties and everything that represented the common man, like, oh my God. And I'm just like, oh, wow. <laughs> and that was what made it for me the, the NWA a far superior product than the WWF. The WWF was glitz and glamour and ridiculous stories. And it was these soap operas for men. Whereas the NWA for me was far more like watching a hockey playoff series. There yeah. was drama, there was heat, but it wasn't about people pretending to piss in coffee. It wasn't about the owner coming down and yelling at people. It was about what happened in the ring. And the moment I kind of walked away was when Kevin Sullivan of the Varsity Club, which was a terrible gimmick, I might add, was <laughs> running in the forest in his wrestling gear, which was a, uh, just trunks and, and knee pads and boots, old school, real old school, chasing down a demon head to learn the secret of a supernatural match that he was going to use against Ronnie Garvin, no, against uh, Jimmy Garvin after kidnapping Jimmy Garvin's girlfriend. Yeah, that must have been like really in the, I think that was that like when WCW started getting really cheesy, like in the early 90s? Oh, no, yes, exactly. It was like 91. That was, that was when I went, you know, I think I'm done. I, I think I'm done. Yeah, that, that that's the thing with wrestling is like, and and even like, you know, nowadays, and the thing is, like, when I was when I was a kid, I didn't really know the difference between like, oh, this is silly and this is this is wrestling. And then, as an adult, I started watching more of like the old, like you know, uh, the, the more like territory type wrestling, like seeing more like you know the stuff, like watching Flair's promos and like you know when he said something, he meant it. Mm -hmm. uh, when he, oh, yeah. when, he when he talks about that world championship, that big gold belt. And he described it as the most prestigious championship in professional sports. I was like, you know, now that's how we talk about a championship belt. When the wrestler is making the belt mean something, not necessarily the belt making the wrestler mean something. Exactly. And, and that, that yeah. was my preference. My preference was, this is a sport. We are in it. We are athletes. We are not actors. Well, I mean, yeah. they, they were actors, of course. But don't, don't lie to me. Lie to me. Don't tell me the truth. Don't break fourth wall, don't break kayfabe. Once that happened, you know, it stopped. It, it, it just stopped having that thing for me. But in terms of wrestling and knowing wrestling, you do not know wrestling and what it was like until you have sat third row in a gym with local wrestlers smoking cigarettes and drinking Budweiser while they're going on. <laughs> Wow, that's that that must have been like that must have been surreal. Like I've been to a lot of smaller wrestling shows, like the independents and stuff. And you well, for one, you wouldn't see people smoking indoors. But um I I mean the energy is still there. I think that the audience has changed over the years where you have more uh like younger people going to shows and you have like, you know, people who are kind of who who are growing up with that WWF style of wrestling now wwe 
where it's really focused on the entertainment. And that was kind of what I grew up on. And I, I, and I have to admit, I like some of it. I know a lot of, I mean, I like a lot of it. I can't even, you know, pretend to not enjoy it because I grew up with it. Um, and know, I'm not going to yuck on your yum. I'm just saying it's not for me. <laughs> oh, for sure. I, I totally understand because, you know, once you've seen enough of it and you've seen, um, you know, some of the stuff that, and especially the stuff that was happening in the late nineties where you had like, uh, when WCW went out of business and all that stuff, that was just a train wreck. Um. <laughs> oh my God, it was. I remember, because my, my buddy that I, I knew at the time was a, a big wrestling fan and invited me to go to some stuff, some things with him, but I couldn't go. And we went to an ECW house show together. And oh, That must have been so cool. Uh, like going. We stalked Dusty Rhodes and met him at a hotel. Wow. Yeah, what, we what did, was that we like did, then? What? What was Dusty like? Uh, a little skittish because all of a sudden four dudes jumped out of a truck at him at the hotel. <laughs> uh, it worked out, but I mean, we could have easily been shot. Wow. I was going to say it. This was later on in Dusty's life. This was about uh, 0203. And, oh, uh, yeah. But it, 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 was a, it was a really neat show, and I forgot where I was going with this. I, I lost my train of thought. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, you were just talking about how you met Dusty at a, at a hotel. No, it wasn't about that. It was about something else. Um, well, you went to an ECW show. Yeah. And that's... then. <sighs> I don't remember. I don't remember what it was. Was, was, was... So, so if oh, you're. Oh, actually... I remember now. Yeah. So we were talking about the big announcement that was going to be on WCW the next week. And we were. I don't remember. It was going to be this big deal. It's going to come back and be great. And. Then they had like all these promos at the beginning of the wrestlers talking about how today's the end of an era, but it's the beginning of a new chapter and we all can't wait. And then Vince McMahon comes on. Yeah. And then there's that. This isn't right. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just, just the whole, and and the, the, the way that they handled the ending of WCW and then WWE kind of started bringing in their, uh, you know, they started, they started this angle in, I, I believe it was 2001. That was when WCW folded. Right. And then they started, you know, putting on this angle of like WCW versus WWF. And then you have like a watered down roster of WCW. There's no flair. There's no sting. Uh, there's no, like, like, I don't, I don't know. Like Goldberg is like, like, like I don't know. It's oh like, yeah. Like, in I, that I, last episode, sting wrestled flair. Yeah, that was the main event of the show. That was how they ended um, I, that that show in uh, where was it in Florida? I would hope Charlotte, but probably Panama City. I think I think you're right. I think it was Florida. Yeah, it was it was like one of those like big wacky WCW shows with like the pool outside and like the kind of like I, I, it sounds like a like a Bischoff uh, brainchild where we have like a bunch of motorcycles around surrounding the ring, which um, you know one of those things, but. Uh, See, yeah. what I liked about the what I liked about WW, WW, I'm sorry, WCW or NWA or the territories or whatever was you had you know I could watch different territories on television all yeah. day long, and each territory had its own flavor. It's like what they did to hockey, right? When I was say 15 and huge into all this, probably not actually a little younger, say 10, huge into all this, you had WWF, which obviously is the NHL. They are the top dog the big money maker that's the one everybody knows and then you had the nwa which was the american hockey league one step down still really high quality but a different flavor and then you had the little mini ones which were the lower minor level leagues 
Well, now every hockey league is the same. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, yeah. I, I mean, I wish I kind of grew up in that era of wrestling where it was so believable, where people treated it like a sport because, um, when I was a kid, it was like, when you watch wrestling, like you'd be like, I like wrestling. And then like, like other kids would be like, yeah, wrestling is really cool. And then like the adults would be like, yeah, <laughs> it's like, so, so, so in other words, you like musical theater. And <laughs> I, I, I was, um, but, but, you know, I always loved, I, I always defended the business. I was always like, I love wrestling and I'm going to stick with it. No matter how many, how many times people tell me that it's, that it's silly or, or it's theatrical or whatever. But, um, if anything, it, it made me into the person I am today because I became somebody who, you know, had a really big appreciation for performance and art and, you know, big shows and things kind of coming together. But well, I it'll mean, sound odd, but wrestling is why, a big part of why I'm here, because I first heard Black Sabbath because of wrestling. Yeah, that was like I got into I got into metal because of wrestling. I was how I first heard Motorhead. I heard Triple H's theme music mm -hmm. and I was like, that's the coolest oh, yeah. song. And then, of course, they didn't want to pay royalties anymore, so they stopped doing all that stuff. But it, yeah. was, it was cool at one time, and it, it's something I really miss. But obviously, we are here to talk about five favorite things. Five favorite things. So uh, we're going to ignore everything that we just said and pretend like none of that was said. <laughs> My first favorite thing, based on just intuition and nothing else because nothing was said, who would your favorite tag team be? My favorite tag team? Um... So, I mean, it's hard to pick a favorite wrestler or tag team. No, it's in, not. I sorry, mean, sorry. <laughs> because my, my, like my brain goes in like 20 million different places. I'm like, what era of wrestling are we talking? Um, I would say like, and, and also because I've been watching wrestling for so long, I have different tag teams at different points in my life. Um, but I would say my favorite tag team as a whole, um, I'm, I'm probably going to say like the right answer to that is probably the Hart Foundation because they're great wrestlers um, like Jim the Anvil Neidhart and Bret Hart. Um, my Wait, other answer. Are you Canadian? I am Canadian. I'm from Okay, Toronto. I didn't know that. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it makes sense because like be, being a fan of Bret Hart is just something that you do when you're from Canada because exactly. We, we go it to was, restaurants and, had a and great gimmick at the end. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm getting off topic, but he had a great gimmick at the end where he was a hero in Canada and a villain in the States. And then the WCW tried to like create the Canadian gimmick and it didn't work because they weren't even Canadian. I don't think <laughs> it just, it, it doesn't like some of the stuff WCW did didn't make any sense. Like, uh, you know, you know, yeah but the whole thing with like brett because like that was I, I actually just watched the um did, did you see the a and e special on bret hart wrestling with shadows um i don't know if it was it wasn't wrestling with shadows it was it was that so that's that's the older one where the bi uh, like a biography yeah so there's there's an a and e biography i think i saw like 10 20 minutes of it i, I know i've seen some of it yeah, they, they just put it out and um they were just talking about that how brett was a heel in um in the states but then he was a baby face in canada which like like i guess that that like from a booking standpoint that doesn't really make sense because how often are you doing canadian shows um, i mean there's where where does wwe even tour in canada obviously they're going to go to the 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 big what is it 
eight, um, nine cities, nine, eight, seven, the big seven cities where they got NHL teams. You're going to go there. Of yeah. So it would typically be like in Ontario, you would get like Toronto, you would get Hamilton. Um, then Why would they do Toronto and Hamilton. Those places are too close. Yeah. I, I mean, they, they would usually do the televised show in Toronto, like at the, at the time, the air Canada center, I believe it's called the Scotia bank arena now. Um, and then they would do a smaller house show in Hamilton. And that was, I guess, just your second chance to see the wrestlers you didn't see oh, on the, okay. on so the like other a, show. Like coming around again, not like the next night. Yeah, it would be like maybe like a month, maybe two months after they'd be like, hey, oh, we're coming okay. to Hamilton and we're doing SmackDown, which is showing the guys that are on the quote-unquote B show. Right. <laughs> um, so they would have uh, like some of those, they, they would have like, instead of putting... Uh, like their top guys, like in, let's say, like in the early 2000s, like John Cena, Edge, Randy Orton, Triple H, they would have like Rey Mysterio, Undertaker, um, who I would consider Undertaker a top guy, which um, I'm sure you're a fan of Mean Mark or Texas Red. I was not going to say it this time. The last time I talked about wrestling, yes, I did do that. I'm not doing it this time. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that's the thing. The, the, the cool thing about Undertaker was that you know, in his gimmick where he was playing the dead man, he was so athletic as mean Mark and as Texas red, like he can jump around the ring. He can do all these cool things. I thought he was a better wrestler as mean Mark. Yeah. I, I, I don't like the, the supernatural gimmick and it, I couldn't take it seriously. Cause I didn't know. I, I didn't know if it was supposed to be a joke. I didn't know if it was supposed to be an act within an act. I mean, or is am I, am I supposed to believe that this is really a dead guy? I, I could, I never could figure it out. Yeah, it was. I, I well, in the, in the early '90s, like WWF was more like cartoony. It was meant for kids, and completely. You know, and, and and the whole thing, like, for the for the adult fans, like you're watching that, you're just like, okay, how am I supposed to believe this guy is actually a dead guy? And and then and then at the time, Vince was really into making wrestlers into professions. So you have you know, the dead man undertaker, the IRS, who's doing your taxes. And you're like, how is this guy an accountant? <laughs> and then you have. The IR, okay. I, I mentioned that wrestler earlier, actually, Mike Rotunda. Yeah. Let me say varsity club was a better gimmick than IRS. Yeah. I, I was, the funny thing is I was just listening to a podcast with uh, like, I listened to, uh, I listened to a couple of podcasts. I like Jim Ross. I like Jim Cornette because he talks about a lot of the, old school wrestling stories and all that stuff talks about the psychology of wrestling, how people should talk about the business and all that. And I think that's really interesting. Like hearing I would listen stories. to, I would do the Jim Cornette show. If he has the problem that a lot of amateur podcasters have in my humble opinion, where he goes too long. Yeah. Yeah. His, his podcasts are about like three and a half hours sometimes. Yeah. I, I, there's um, a, a show called my favorite murder, which I heard of because they were, you know, doing a crossover thing. And I, I'm like, oh, I like true crime. I'll listen to that. And I pull it up and like, we only got a short one for y'all today. We're only going to go about two and a half hours. <laughs> oh, unsubscribe. Yeah. Yeah. Podcasts can tempt, like sometimes, you know, some of these podcasts can go on for a little too long, but um, he has like short clips. I usually just pick up like the, the five minute clips where he'll like talk about. Oh, like uh, on YouTube. I've, yeah. I've done a couple of yeah. those. Yeah, like sometimes he'll talk about like like for example, like he talked about Mike Rotunda, or like he'll talk about uh, 
what fans were like in the territory days when he was managing the Midnight Express. Um, what uh, I, there was one episode where he talked about um, how championship belts were made, and I really love championship belts. Like I'm really into the collection of belts. I have a couple replica ones that are on my stand over there from the. Uh, uh, you're gonna hate me for this, but these are from the uh, from the 2000s era WWE because that I have a soft spot for that era of wrestling because it's from my childhood. But if I could uh, pick one belt to own, uh, I will. You know what? I'm actually gonna go ahead and. Uh, I will give you $50 American if you can guess it. And I'll be honest with you. I'll give you three chances. You're, okay, so three chances, your favorite belt? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so I'm going to go with I'll, – I'll go with an obvious one first. Ten pounds of gold, the NWA belt. Hate that one. Oh, uh, the UWF championship? Love that one, but no. Um, let's see. Uh, okay, so you don't. Okay, so you don't like the ten pounds of gold. Uh, so you like the UWF one. Can I get a hint? Is it a singles belt or a tag belt? It's a tag belt. Okay. Now you're down to twenty five bucks if you get it. <laughs> okay, I'll take the twenty five if I get it. Um, American though, not Canadian. Is it the U.S. tag belts from the NWA? Nope. Okay, I, that's that's all three guesses. It was the International Tag Team Championship that the Road Warriors won in Japan and brought back to America to say screw you guys. So it's a so it's a New Japan title. Yes. Oh wow! I don't yeah, know what nice the actual name of it is. I just know they brought it back and went like, yeah, we're keeping it. Oh wow! I I wouldn't have guessed that one. That that's a but but it's uh but yeah, that's cool. You like the Road Warriors? Are are they your favorite tag team? Yes, the Road Warriors are my favorite tag team. I like them because they had a great gimmick. It was believable. It was crazy yet believable. Uh, they were jacked up on so many steroids, like the glorious golden eighties were, and they were just the perfect epitome. And you know, I'm a big Kiss fan. I like makeup, King Diamond, yeah. and black metal. So I mean, it, really, they're just my everything. Yeah. I did not like the Legion of Doom. I liked the Road Warriors. You know, when they had metal spikes and almost uh, poked animals' eye out in a weightlifting competition. <laughs> did scaffold matches where they like jumped off of twenty-five foot scaffolds. Yeah, yeah, that was crazy. Um, yeah, that that um, have have you seen the uh, Dark Side of the Ring with uh, I think it was was it Road Warrior Hawk? Or yeah. Something? Oh was... my God, that is depressing. Yeah. Uh, I, I I knew quite a bit about the Road Warriors, obviously, but the tail end of the career, like with I didn't know Hawk was an addict, and seeing them like bringing in a third Road Warrior, I mean, just seeing that whole gimmick, it's like wow, that is really problematic and really in poor taste because this guy is, I I I don't know if anybody told anybody at the wrestling company. But a lot of wrestlers die young. Yeah. I don't know if anybody noticed. I'm maybe I'm it's, the only one. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. That and and um, you know, I I, I remember being a kid and when that, that whole thing with Chris Benoit was just like awful. And I remember that was like so devastating to me as a kid because I was a Chris Benoit fan when I was like when I was like 10, 11. I liked years him old. in the EW ECW. Yeah, he was he was inspired by dynamite kid and his wrestling style was like really aggressive, like really hurt yourself, really go off the, that, that flying headbutt move was like devastating. 
and from from what I heard from uh, some, I, I think it was like there there was a bunch of reports that were talking about like the type of brain damage that he had, and it was just like awful, you know, some of the stuff that he had to. Uh, had to and do just to for the record, uh, since we're bringing up Chris Benoit and everything that happened there, if you see anything, call someone. Uh, 99% of women who are murdered are murdered by an intimate partner. Yeah. It's Sorry. I, I, we are a very, very, very big, strong uh, anti-DB family here. So whenever that comes up, I got to say it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was just awful what happened. But let's let's move away from this a little bit. So I'm gonna guess say your favorite tag team was the the Heart Foundation. Okay, I can accept that. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit. Which is your favorite video game system? Favorite video game system? Nintendo sixty four. What the hell? <laughs> Nintendo sixty four. That was my favorite video game system because it was my very first. Oh, okay. Well, I, you've got nostalgia working for you because I mean that thing. I hate that system. <laughs> um, you know, I would say um, it's my favorite video game system, not because it's fully functioning and amazing. Because okay, let's let's pick let's pick the video game system you like the best because you like playing it the most. That I like playing the most, I would say. Um, I would say the Nintendo GameCube. That that one was the most functional, and and it was fun. And I came from and and I. <laughs> Give me that look, like I'm just no, I actually about to like tell the this game, guy. I like the GameCube. The GameCube <laughs> did not meet its potential. Yeah, I I think that there's a lot of things like like I I think that again this is a nostalgia thing and I and I could be wearing the nostalgia goggles really tight around my head today, but um, the GameCube was awesome because it had like it, it had for one I love Super Smash Brothers. I think that's like one of my favorite video games to play just generally whether it be just casually or competitively uh with my close group of friends we like to play competitively on weekends and uh we choose one guy and we go the whole night with that guy and uh (laughs) we just say yeah that's your main that's the guy you're using the whole night and we just go at it like we uh we we play hard we play uh we play the newer smash but we always say ah it's not the same as smash melee that's that's the real smash (laughs) i have that on japanese import oh really Yes, my GameCube is Japanese. Oh, wow. I have the... Really hard into imports. That's how I learned Japanese. Oh, you speak Japanese? A little. Sukoshine. Oh, cool. Uh, I speak fluent Spanish, conversational Japanese, and I can read read enough to get an idea of what you're saying most times. Yeah. Because I played Final Fantasy XI online in Japanese for six years. Oh, amazing. That's really cool. So I would have um, like these Japanese dictionaries on the table and I ran into some people that spoke English and would help me learn. Oh, wow. So I could, I knew enough to play Fantasy Star, uh, Fantasy Star Online, Fantasy Star Universe and Final Fantasy XI Online without anybody noticing that I was an American. Oh, wow. And then, yes, I did put JP only in my party requests. Cool. Because awesome. of her. that's amazing that's really cool i only i i I speak a little bit of italian and that's because my grandparents used to speak it to me like when i was three four years old and my mom tells me all the time you used to speak great italian (laughs) and i'm like i don't remember a single word of italian actually that's a lie i remember a little bit of italian um 
but as somebody who speaks languages professionally and is a hobby if you don't use it it goes away however if you start using it again it will come back yeah it's it's not the same as riding a bike where you kind of just like okay like you know we can just put no you have got to get immersed in it get punched in the face fall down and then you start digging deep and you remember it that's how it worked for me anyway yeah you be a little burpy as i always am um Okay, so what were your favorite, besides Super Smash Brothers, which, I mean, I have it. I never much cared for that one. Um, I didn't like Nintendo games, like Nintendo brand games. I liked the, for the GameCube, I liked uh, like Sega's Home Run King. I thought was spectacular. A great uh, arcade style baseball. I still play that a little bit today. But what I loved about the GameCube was it had uh, Fantasy Star Online and Fantasy Star online two, which sucked, but it, whatever. I never played that one. And I still play that. What I loved about that version of fantasy star online was you can actually play offline multiplayer. Oh, wow. So my daughter and I still play that sometimes. Oh, awesome. And my copies are Japanese. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Um, in terms of other GameCube games, uh, I really liked Pokemon Coliseum as a kid, um, has really good music in that game. Um, I also liked Star Fox Assault and Star Fox Adventures. Um, what else was on the GameCube that I really liked? Um, there was Luigi's Mansion. That one was really fun. That's a really fun game. Cool puzzles in that one. My daughter's playing the the current one, the Switch version. The Switch version. I haven't played that one yet. And I know there's one for the DS as well. All I play on the Switch is Monster Hunter. Oh, cool. I like, I like online RPGs. I like online games. And Monster Hunter is great because I can play for 20, I can play online for 20 minutes or I can play online for five hours. And it's awesome. You know, when you play games like Final Fantasy XI or World of Warcraft, I presume, or EverQuest, I presume, or whatever they're pe- things that are on the computer that people want to pretend are video games, you have to, <laughs> for Final Fantasy XI, when you got into a party, the moment you were in a party, you had to be able to give three hours of your time to that. And basically, if you turned on, when I turned on my PS2 to play it, I had to accept that I was going to be in front of my television for five hours. Yeah, that's just how it works. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) because once you get going, you're in it. And that's how they they do it that way on purpose. So everything is so slow. So you keep paying them each month to play it. And frankly, I just don't have that kind of time anymore. So yeah, I... Yeah, I mean, like, in terms of games that I spent, like, a lot of time playing, like, I'm, in in, in my adult years, I started playing um, the From Software games, like Dark Souls, Bloodborne, and um, I still have to play Sekiro, and, uh, and then they have Elden Ring coming out. Um, so, yeah, those games have been really influential for me, like, uh, in making Blood of Indigo, actually. So the game Bloodborne is like a dark fantasy-themed RPG where the bosses are, like, almost impossible to beat. So I think that, you know, because I, I didn't want to say PS4 as my favorite system because that would have just been, you know, boo! <laughs> Funny story. I do not own a PS4. Oh, really? I do have one PS4 game. And what's that game? Shenmue 3. Oh, okay. What is that? I, I haven't heard of it. Uh, Shenmue is 
one of the was the most advanced game of its time came out in 2000 2000 or 2001 i forget on the dreamcast it was the first open world game wow really it was the first game where they said come back at five o'clock and it wasn't they didn't mean go trigger an event they meant you know go kick rocks till five o'clock and there's a clock on the screen you had to wait for it to get there and the first one of it, the first game in the series was frankly pretty damn boring, but you, it told the story. Then Shenmue 2 came out in Japan and in Europe on the Dreamcast, and they switched it even to no English dialogue for the voice acting, which everybody was so thrilled about. And then Sega folded the Dreamcast, and Microsoft bought Shenmue 2 and fucked us over. So I played the European version. <laughs> So, so you're really into the Sega games then? The, the, the Sega I love series. Sega. I love so, Sega. So that's why you hate the 64 so much. <laughs> no, I hate the 64 because, I mean, I'm not a big fan of Nintendo's first party games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt like Nintendo left me on between Mario and Mar- Super Mario Brothers. No, I'm sorry. Whatever the Super Nintendo, Super Mario World. Um, and then when it got to Super Mario 64, I don't like 3D platformers. And yeah, I don't like 3D games as much as 2D games. If I'm being perfectly honest, I think 2D is a, a more is, is prettier. It's it's a more beautiful game, and Sega was kept with the 2D for a lot longer than Nintendo did. And I also felt that Sega had far more impressive programmers: Yuji Naka, Yu Suzuki. Again, Yu Suzuki invented the open world game. He invented the 3D fighter. Yuji Naka was the first person to make an online RPG for a system. And they're far more, they're reactionary while being revolutionary, whereas Nintendo is very stodgy. Mm -hmm. That's my Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, So you don't like any of the Zelda games? I loved the first one. The second one was a pile of puke. Zelda 2, Link's Awakening. And I tried playing Link to the Past. And that's where I just, I, I think I tried, I tried playing Ocarina of Time a little bit. And at that point in time, I thought the, the, the PlayStation 2 had better game, or PlayStation, excuse me, had better games because they were using the CD format rather than the outdated cartridge format. And they could just do more. They could just do more with the CD than the cartridge. And then on top of that, you have the Sega Saturn around the same time. And the Sega Saturn is still one of my absolute favorite systems. And I will go to my grave saying no one will ever top the Sega Saturn analog controller, which they were one of the first ones to have an analog controller even. Yeah, I I think that if, if there's anything wrong with the 64, the controller is just absolute barf. <laughs> it doesn't just, work on any level. The the analog stick is uncomfortable. There's three prongs on it. And it's just it's it's just like playing anything that's you can't play anything competitive on a 64. That's the only issue I have with it. The, but, and the the controller is a big thing for me in any system. The controller mm-hmm. has to be comfortable and, and work for me. That was one of the things I didn't like about the Wii U was I had that giant controller with a big screen on it and it just felt weird. And then the Wii with the nunchucks, I mean, 
they were just trying to make the next logical step from the GameCube controller, which the GameCube controller was amazing. That that's the best controller I've ever used in my entire life. I still <laughs> in my opinion. Saturn, the Sega Saturn analog controller. It didn't have two sticks like the the GameCube did, but I like the analog controller being above the digital rather than below. Mm-hmm. That's just a personal preference, and. So yeah, there's that. And it's just, I, I, yeah, I, I love Sega. I've always loved Sega. Yeah. Except for Sonic. Sonic sucks. I, I've heard a lot of people say that like Sonic is just crappy Mario. <laughs> but it's, um, it's Mario that makes no sense. Yeah, that, that's, that's the thing. Like I, I played, I, I really liked, as a kid, I liked Sonic Adventure 2. That was on the GameCube. And that was, I believe that might've been ported from it was, was it? The, the, Sega, the Sega Dreamcast and that and the reason why I liked that one so much was because that was like the first Sonic game that made Dr. Eggman an actual villain mm-hmm. instead of making him just like goofy like I, bad guy I don't like 3D platformers I don't like platformers where you have to solve puzzles just let me jump on people's heads that's all <laughs> <laughs> so so you're a super mario one two and then, and then maybe three not two but definitely three. Oh yeah two is okie dokie panic that was that yeah. was what that was supposed to be but then did you play the lost levels mario lost levels oh my god the lost level on super mario all-stars that was just viciously tough yeah and i got to i mean i couldn't get anywhere I, I think i got to like level world three and i'm just like you know what the hell with this crap <laughs> after a certain point you're just like yeah this is just annoying um, yeah, this is this is difficult for the sake of difficult, and I see why you did not release this in America to begin with because we would have punched the screen. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, we are. Was... Let's uh, let's get to the Mitch the Mitch Hedberg paradox. Who are you? Now you who have to I? think: Am I on the wrong Zoom channel, or is he really deep? <laughs> who am I? Um, well, I'm Alex Centurami. I am the lead vocalist of Blood of Indigo, and we are a dark fantasy metal band. That's a new subgenre. I like that. Can you add some doom or black into it? It it needs a few more words. That's all I'm going to say. So it's basically, so I I would describe it as like symphonic death metal, uh, blackened symphonic death metal, depending on. We're we're getting closer. We're getting close. We need maybe two more. Uh, Yeah, I would say like it's blackened symphonic death metal with a dark fantasy twist uh, that also has. Elements of thrash, elements of thrash. I would say, um, maybe, um, I, I would say there are, oh, no, you got, no, definitely, definitely. So put all of that on there, but with elements of thrash and there you go <laughs> with elements of thrash and elements of melodic death metal in some places too. And mm, I don't think you can do that. You got to say with, uh, bordering on mellow death border. Okay. So we're turning this into like a press release. <laughs> I see where we're going. <laughs> I one of my favorite things about getting press releases is not reading them because they're terrible. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everyone. Uh, you also got local up- rockers from Toronto, Canada. You also got to figure out you're not a band, right? You're either a unit, a horde, something like that. Every every nobody's a band anymore. Everybody is like this amorphous group of thing. And, and this is the part where we cue in Dom from Fast and the Furious family. Oh yeah, and definitely your album is highly anticipated. A highly anticipated, uh, extreme metal project that's going to rock the ears of the listener. 
<laughs> no, we're, you had something, but you lost it. So we were almost there. We were almost there. Moving forward, moving on. So I have not gotten any promos and I have not gotten really been able to listen to your music. How do I get onto this exclusive list, which I am clearly not a part of? Uh, so we have this uh, list, this email list where you can access in my Instagram bio or on Facebook. We have it at the top of our uh page and it's basically just you just click the link and then you get an opt-in page you give us your email and then we're going to send you three songs for three days so we call this campaign three days of dark fantasy metal and when you join we're going to send you one song every day over the course of three days and the first day you're going to get a song called angelus the faceless vampire and angelus does have a face but we call them faceless because it's more like supposed to be describing him as unlikable or as somebody who is not really important. Um, and there's kind of a deeper meaning to that within the lore and storytelling, which I kind of put into the uh, concept of the band and into the, into this album. Uh, then on day two, you get a song called Sphinx Collector of Eyes, which kind of has like this desert kind of feel to it. It's a little I'm bit... actually going to play that one at the end. So there was a little bit of Hollywood there. I've heard one song. There we go. So yeah, it's, it's got like this like desert kind of feel to it. It feels like uh, the, the goal with that song was to give you like uh, the feel of like a boss battle in like one of these like Zelda games or like uh, like Dark Souls or Bloodborne where it's like a big epic boss fight. And um, that's kind of where the main character, Angelus, is kind of fighting to uh, prove himself to uh, the next song, <laughs> the next name of the song, Anne-Marie Indigo, who is the queen of the shaded world. And basically that's like this parallel world, which is um, parallel to the human world. So the shaded world is this demon world. And, the, and then, there's a, then there's a human world called Gander. And I called it Gander for two reasons. One, because I named it after a Canadian goose because geese are terrifying. And two, because- If you Gander don't like Canada gooses, you don't like me. <laughs> I, I'm not even kidding. That was how I named the human world. Because I was like, well, geese are- Because I, I remember I was going for a walk um, during the beginning of the plague. And because that's all you can really do when you're home every single day of your life. And I saw this goose that was walking down the street and, you know, just like a Canadian goose. And just as I normally would, I walked past it and I was on the phone talking to um, my guitarist, Mario. And um, we were just having a good laugh about wrestling or something. And um, this goose started hissing at me. He was like, Bah-h-h-h! and it was chasing me down the street and I had to run. And I was like, man, like I, I almost got pecked by a goose. <laughs> That was terrifying. And I Googled like, like, like what makes geese angry? And it was just like talking loudly, getting too close to it when it's during mating season. And I was like, okay, that, that kind of explains a few things. So, um, and it said, another thing is that geese are really clumsy. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, sometimes humans can be a little clumsy. So why don't we name the human world Gander? <laughs> nice. I, I was going to ask if you were naming it after Gandor because uh, Gondor, excuse me, uh, because my wife is a huge Lord of the Rings nerd, and I'm not, and so I named my farts the Horn of Gondor. <laughs> well, that's a, that that's definitely wrestling promo material. If you were a commentator like uh, uh, in in the WWF, like like uh, uh, Bobby Heenan, that's definitely one of the one liners I would have pulled as well. <laughs> I, I like to think that I'm witty. I mean, I'm not, but I like to think I am. 
um, we are not short on time, but we're using a lot of time. So let's stay on fo- uh, stay on track because we said five things. We have to do five things or something bad is going to happen. Uh, <laughs> I haven't thought real hard. Okay, favorite Castlevania game? Favorite Castlevania game? I guess the objective answer would be four. Um, uh, but that's I'll, the Super Nintendo one? That's the Super Nintendo one, yeah. Um, but I'll be honest, I actually haven't really played that much Castlevania. I have a poster in my room because I love the artwork and I love the TV show. Um, uh, my favorite personally is uh, Castlevania Two: Simon's Quest. Yeah, that's um, routinely Simon, Simon on the poster in Castlevania mm-hmm. One behind me here. I liked one. I just liked two better. Two was a bit more involved and a bit more puzzly. It wasn't as just, you know, go straight through. I love, I love role-playing games and they tried to turn Castlevania into one. I mean, they failed miserably because they didn't know how, but they tried. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm not really that well-versed in the Castlevania games, if I'm being honest. I have played a little bit of them. My brother-in-law has the Super Nintendo Classic at his house. He has Super Metroid, Castlevania, Donkey Kong Country. Oh, that's awesome. And Uh, for Christmas a couple of years ago, that's what I asked for because it has all four Fantasy Star games. Oh, wow. Just to get Fantasy Star 4 would set you back about $250. Wow. I'm like, I'll take an emulated game system. That's fine. (laughs) Yeah, because getting some of the copies of these games is like crazy. I, um, I, I, I wanted to, I actually just bought uh, Zelda Twilight Princess for GameCube because I had never played it on the GameCube because the Wii version, apparently the, 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 the areas were mirrored and that bothered me. So I was like, I can't play this game backwards. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I had to buy the GameCube version and it was like 170 bucks. I know, no, I, part... I know that feeling. There was a time, and this is back, you know, when minimum wage was five bucks an hour. Yeah. Where I was spending, I spent $100 to get the Final Fantasy Collection, which was a PlayStation Japanese only release. And by Final Fantasy Collection, they mean uh, Final Fantasy 4, 5, 6. Yeah. And so I was going to play those to see if they were any different than the American ones. I also had the Fantasy Star Collection, which was 1, 2, 3, and 4. Problem was, at that time, I could not read a lick of Japanese. So not helpful. I did figure out about three months later that the word item written in Japanese looks like PETA. <laughs> wow. In role-playing games, it's very useful. Yeah. Yeah, because then you can just, you know, once you figure out what the word means, then you can just be like, all right, cool, that's item. Mm-hmm. And then just go about playing the game and you just always know what they're talking about. So One of the nice things about playing Final Fantasy games in Japanese as well is most of the items are written in katakana and I can read that one. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, because you have the uh, the background in, in Japanese, which is really cool. I have it now. I didn't have it then. Not, when not I, then, but... Not when I was playing Final Fantasy VIII, which everybody hates. I need to get that again. Yeah. Have you played Seven? No. I, I played a little bit of Seven. Um, I just didn't much care for it. I didn't... I don't... I didn't like the way the characters look. I don't like goofy 3D stuff. And that includes, like, cartoons. My family does not understand... I don't like three-dimensional cartoons. I don't like, I like flat cartoons. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, going back to, I like two-dimensional things. I like sprite-based. I like cell animation, or at least make it look like cells, whatever. I don't care. But I don't, I don't, I don't like computer graphics for cartoons. And I don't like, I, I don't care for 3D graphics as much as I do 2D. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah, I can tell that you like the 2D and just just the art style, right? That's yeah, much. I, I much prefer it. I think it's prettier. Now, I mean, I completely understand when you're playing like an online game, you can't play an online game in 2D. Yeah, it's a little hard to do. It doesn't work. You can't play multiplayer in 2D. It doesn't work. It just yeah. it's just not. Doesn't work. Yeah, you have to be able to know where you're at. So you know, that's right. Neither here nor there is what it is. Um, let's see. What do you want to talk about? What's your favorite thing that you want to talk about? There's no My favorite thing that I want to talk about. <laughs> yes. Um, do you like horror movies, like slasher movies? I did. Um, I have an amazing ability to grow tired of things. Yeah, <laughs> it happens. Uh, and I. I watched like when I was growing up, I watched the Friday the 13th movies incessantly, the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movies constantly, and zombie movies and all of that. But it, I just stopped. As I mean, to be perfectly honest, once I became a father, I really stopped liking a lot of that kind of thing, mm-hmm. which is so cliche and so, God, I wish it wasn't true, but it is. Um, but my favorite Friday the 13th is still number six. Number six. That was the one where uh, Tommy Jarvis is having the nightmares about Jason and then he comes back to life. Accidentally reanimates Jason. Yeah. Yeah, that was a cool one. Um, That has got to be a real kick in the shorts too. Yeah. Yeah. You accidentally reanimate your, your sworn enemy. I mean, God. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that was, I, I think that the the most popular answer for like what your favorite Friday the 13th would be for most people, I think would be four, because that was like when Tommy Jarvis was introduced to the series. Four was really good. Four was good. And, and I like that it was, I like that. Um, that's like the first time you see Jason without the mask and he's like scary looking and they did a really good job of actually, no, that's not the first time. Number three is when you see him without the mask. Right. In, in four, four was the first time he even wore the mask for the whole movie. Yeah. And then the ending is when the mask comes off. If I remember correctly. In four. Yeah. That's when, uh, I think like Tommy Jarvis, like hits him with like, uh, that's when Tommy Shetty. The, to create the slit, the slit was already created there. No, you're that not- was from three. Yeah, yeah three was axe. was an axe. Yeah, three. He had the axe in his head because he got hung from the barn, and then uh, whatever the protagonist's name was, axed him in the head, and he had that dent in his mask. Um, but I really like. I I know two is kind of the same as one, but I like that Jason design with the burlap sack on his head. I think it's interesting that. And when you look at the classic Jason movies, he only wore the mask as his own personal um, affectation for half of the series. Yet it is such an iconic photo. It is such an iconic image. Yeah, it's it's it is like the hockey mask was. I, I like that that that's really what people think of when they think of Jason. They think of you know it's it's the mask image, and then, uh, yeah, then. Um, Number five came around. They changed the mask a little bit. They gave it like the blue stripes. And that's because number even... five was a new person pretending to be Jason. That was disappointing. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, it there, doesn't make sense. Yeah, there, there were some really cool kills in that movie, if I remember correctly. And there were really great effects. Um, and it was entertaining. Finished it. 
But then, yeah, because then they sweep the rug underneath and they're just like, oh, it was Roy Burns the entire time. And I'm like, oh, I hate when movies do that, when it's like you're led on to believe this whole thing. And it's like, surprise, nothing you were watching this entire time matters. And yeah, yeah, I can, I can get behind that. I can get behind hating that. And it, it just, the fact that it wasn't Jason, and I, I mean, and I knew it wasn't Jason before I ever even tried to watch it. It just made me not even be interesting interested yeah. in that it's like because i was interested in the concept of supernatural zombie jason killing people yeah now you're like well it's just some dude that wants to be well yeah. i think i want to watch something else yeah that that was that and that's that that doesn't make sense either right because you have jason who's like this supernatural being which is kind of like uh i, I guess a clone of michael myers <laughs> um yeah. but yeah, more or less but like uh, that, then you have then you have this impersonator who is like who, who's just as strong as Jason can do all the same things that he could you know just the 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 presentation doesn't really make sense like how could this guy impersonating Jason have the same strength and the same uh, fortitude as the Jason that we were led to believe is this like supernatural being you know just tell me um, you didn't see Jason takes Manhattan because oh you know god. What? <laughs> That was that was horrible. <laughs> That's the see. I I know where I, I now know where Blues Brothers two thousand got like their inspiration, because they took like Jason's abilities, which were largely implied and understated, and just completely went over the top with them. It's like, oh, Jason used to you know warp behind trees. Well, now he can leap to the top of the Empire State Building and hit you with a machete. Good luck. Yeah, that was <laughs> like 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 but just. It's just like taking Jason out of his element, I think, is like very gimmicky. It's almost oh, like it's like putting a hat on a hat. And it's very hip. It's, it's, it's a very hip hat. Uh, hat, <laughs> hat. You know, it's like a baseball cap wearing a Kangle. Yeah, it, it's it, it's just and, and another thing, too, is is we were promised that we were going to get Jason in Manhattan and we got him in Manhattan for like one scene. And the rest of it was him on a boat. And the rest of it was wasn't it filmed in like uh i'm sorry i can't when you say we saw jason on a boat all i'm thinking is i'm on a boat (laughs) it's true though because like the entire movie picture i'm on a boat by the lonely island but take out t-pain and slide in jason (laughs) that's what's going through my head yeah, and it, that might as well have been the soundtrack to that movie because it was not good. Um, no, I, I think I watched it once, and I'm just like, you know, you have taken everything that made these scary and terrifying and said, nah, we're, we're, let's not do that. And, and that's what Five was to me. Five was the same exact thing. Take away everything that's special about this movie. And then, oh, it's a new beginning. But no, it's not. It's just a sequel. It's, it's just... Um, yeah, it's just like okay, well, we've seen everything that Jason can do, so let's put a hat on him and let's make it let's let's make this hokey and more more hokey than it already was. Because let's be honest, these movies are already really silly. Completely, um, I mean, completely silly. Because you know what, he's not that fast. No, um, and and that was the thing too. Because in the earlier movies, he was able to run, and then they just made him walk through the rest of the movies. Gave him like this, like you know undertaker dead man michael myers sort of feel to him 
later on in the series. And, and then like, I, I hope you didn't watch Jason X. That was just, um, <laughs> that was, that was even worse than Jason takes Manhattan. <laughs> Actually, um, maybe I might, I might've seen it. I, I also may have seen it and blocked the memory of it, of ever having seen it, which seems like it'd be the smart play if I ever had seen it, or maybe I drank it away. I don't know. Yeah, that was, I, I, I think that was, cause, cause there was part nine and part nine wasn't even about Jason. It was, you, you see Jason for about 30 Wait a seconds. What was part nine? I don't even remember that. Oh, part nine sucked too. <laughs> everything, I mean, everything after six was sucked. It, it, and they just kept going. It's, and that's, you know, going back to me being able to get tired of things, right? Yeah. The Simpsons, we're on what? Year 783 of The Simpsons, I'm pretty sure. I started watching them the year they came out. I'm 45. So, I mean, I've been alive for the whole time. And I stopped watching them like 15 years ago. I mean, yeah. I, I, I jumped off the train way later than I should have and way earlier than most people you know yeah. I, like uh, modern family i watched that for like a season and two seasons and it was great and then it got stupid and i'm like there's too much to do and yeah I, yeah that's, that's how i am with everything if i i will watch and love something up to a point and then i can get real tired real quick yeah that that that's the thing like sometimes you're watching a series and you're like yeah this is really cool and then they do one thing that you're just not really into and you're just like okay well i'm not really interested anymore <laughs> well my i mean my favorite example of this is the big bang theory oh yeah that show is just um you know but, i like i I've, i watched some of the earlier stuff and then it just started turning into like really silly slapstick humor and exactly that's, that's like, exactly where i'm going my my late stepfather watched the show before I did and started calling me Sheldon. And my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, thought that was hysterical because she thought it was so accurate. And, and I'm like, I've never heard of this, so I refused to watch it for like two or three years. And then I started watching it in syndication, and I'm like, oh my God, this show is amazing. This, this is for my people. This is really nerdy, amazing stuff. And none of these people are attractive. And, you know, it, it was like real life. And then it got popular. So yep. then once it got popular, they stripped out everything that made it special and turned it into a Saturday Night Live parody of a sitcom. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Like it, it's, you know, it, it, from what it started out as, I, I watched like some of the earlier episodes. I was like, oh yeah, cool. Like a, a show about comic books and, and nerdy stuff. Like they're playing Dungeon and, Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, okay, this is fun. Uh, and, and now it's just on all the time. <laughs> and sometimes like, I'll just be like, all right. Like, um, and in, in Canada, the big bang theory is on all the time. And it's on the same channel that airs the news. So if you watch the news and you're like, okay, cool. I'm just going to go and like, you know, I don't know, like water the tomatoes or something. You come back inside and you hear a laugh track constantly going for the next 30 water minutes. Water the tomatoes. <laughs> I'm Italian. That's what we do. Fair enough. I will. That's just not. What I, that was just not the answer I was expecting. Or not the, the fault, not the activity. Uh, Water with tomatoes. I'm not judging. I'm not yucking. I'm not, I'm not judging. I'm not yucking on anybody's yum. It's just, I'm just saying that was a surprise. Man, have you ever had tomatoes from your own garden? Like yes. that is, inc it's incredible. They taste so good. Okay. Like they're very sweet, very tasty. And you feel proud of it too. Cause you're there's just still, like, yeah. There's, there's still tomatoes and <laughs> tomatoes it's not like tomatoes can achieve 
this this transcendent level of brilliance and wondrousness. It's just tomatoes. Uh, I'm gonna put it on a bacon sandwich. Uh, and I'm gonna make sauce out of it. That's I don't even make the sauce out of it. That's a lot of work. And then the thing is, is I can I can spend the 50 hours of my life tending to this garden in my backyard, right? Or, or I can get in my car and go down to the farmer's market and get a big bag of tomatoes for a dollar. Except nobody in my house will eat them but me, so they're gonna go bad anyway. <laughs> yeah, you could do that too. I mean, we also that's go to just, the grocery store and buy tomatoes, but- I'm just um, saying, that's my, I, 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 it's an opportunity cost. I, yeah. de I, I derive no pleasure from growing anything. It's not yeah, just tomatoes. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just something that we we do in our family just because like it's, I, I, I when I was a kid, my grandfather was like, hey, look, tomatoes, look how cool this is. And I was like, yeah, tomatoes. Then he would like pick the tomatoes and he'd be like, here, eat this tomato. And like the look on his face when you take a bite into his tomato was priceless. He'd be so every, happy. I will admit every like six to seven months, I think, I could put a little garden in the backyard and then immediately flashback to weeding the garden. Nope. Oh. Not doing that. Yeah. I, I, I mean, like we kind of like, like we have a, like, like the way our house is set up is like, it's a townhouse. So we just have a deck and then underneath it's rocks. So we have like pots with like tomatoes and basil and mm. like flowers. And then you get a lot of bees and stuff coming over. So like whenever I'm trying to barbecue, I just have like bees and mosquitoes and, everything from the ravine that's behind us like coming hey you are out. you are not selling me on this i'm just gonna throw that out there. <laughs> so it sounds like a pain in the ass but i mean eating your own tomatoes is kind of worth it hey, like people say i'm nuts for buying records from sweden so hey man i mean there's nothing wrong with buying records from sweden i think that's pretty cool it took a and long time i, I actually ordered it uh we went on we went out of town for a week and in my neighborhood it's a little porch piratey and so it was, uh, for the record, it was the Digital Underground, uh, their debut record, Sex Packets, which features the Humpty Dance. I bought a Swedish import of it because I found it for 15 euros, which was way below market price. And so I emailed the guy, I bought it at, on like March or like on May 12th. And I'm like, don't ship this until May 31st. And he's like, I shipped it. I'm sorry, what day did you ship it? today okay that's not good <laughs> like well maybe it'll get there soon well today as we record this it is july 7th uh walk down my my we have a two-family victorian we're on the second and third floors and then we're, uh, the first floor is a separate apartment walking down the steps to my front door and i see mail and i'm like wait a minute we didn't have mail last night wouldn't it be cool if that record finally showed up and uh open the door plop there it is so, yeah and i was like oh my god thank god i i, I figured it was at two months i'm like that's never gonna show up but i actually emailed the guy two days ago and i said hey just so you know i haven't gotten it two days later it pops up the other record i ordered from sweden took a month or i emailed the guy and i'm like hey i haven't gotten it two months later it showed up so apparently what i need to do is just email these swedish dudes so maybe the usps is checking my email my discogs profile to see when I'm emailing them, like, oh shit, we gotta get it, we gotta deliver it. <laughs> I don't. Uh, that's my tangent. So, uh, number yeah. five. Number five. How, how do you? What's your favorite thing to do to relax? My favorite thing to do to relax. Uh, 
I usually like to, I honestly, like I, I, this, I, this might not sound relaxing, but I like going for a walk and just listening to music. Um, I just go for walks in my neighborhood, um, usually around like 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock when there's nobody around um, during the summer, of course, because the winters here in Toronto are awful. Um, <laughs> and I'll just put in my earbuds and I'll just walk around the block and um, I find it really relaxing. There's nobody around. I can really focus on the music or I can just, you know, let the music kind of put me in a trance and I can just kind of be with my thoughts. And um that's what yeah. I do, but I don't go on a walk. I just put a record on the turntable. Um, actually, my since the the pandemic is, you know, we're we're coming into slowly sliding into the the post pandemic era, and I don't because I'm vaccinated. I'm vaccinated, so I, I feel safe. Mm-hmm. I don't take my showers at night anymore because I used to be I'd come home take a shower before I'd come downstairs. I wouldn't let anybody get near me. Come up, take a shower, go downstairs, and now I'm just back to my normal schedule. But I still do the thing where I come home, I sit down, because we have we have two living rooms. We have the upstairs living room for music and the downstairs living room for television. It's a great system, because if you don't have that, you'll never get to listen to music. And so the first thing I do is I come home, I crack open a beer, I put my feet up and I put a record on and I don't cook dinner or do anything until it's over. That's, yeah. how, that's how I wash away my work day. Oh, that's awesome. And that yeah, is a story I've told so many times, I need to stop telling it. <laughs> Oh, it's a great story, man. I, I, I always love learning new ways to relax because I find that um, sometimes my way of relaxing, which is going for a walk sometimes is like, gets boring after a while because, you know, I, and as I've been doing this basically for like an entire, I've been doing this way of relaxing for like an entire year now, since the start of the pandemic, I've been like, all right, let's go for a walk. Let's put it on music. Let's go around the block. And then, you know, you just kind of see the same things over and over again. And um, no, I hear yeah. you. The problem with that is here in St. Louis, uh, here's what most people don't know that don't live here. It's kind of a, a little trade secret. Not only can you get shot pretty easily, but we have the worst weather in North America. Mm-hmm. Hear me out. What is the highest temperature? Not humidex, the actual temperature. What is the highest temperature you're going to get to this summer? Uh, this summer? So, um, well, just yesterday, it, it was... 32 degrees celsius but it felt like 36 oh my god 32 sorry uh we go 45 wow okay that's, that's really summer. hot man oh yeah <laughs> and we also go 80 90 humidity at the same time so How, oh no- man okay. now i know why you don't want to go outside for a walk <laughs> no exactly that's why i don't i'm going golfing tomorrow and i my wife said make friends at work and we have a golf thing so I regret choices, yeah. but here we are. And what in the winter, I'm sure you get down to what about negative twenty Celsius? Uh yeah, I would say it's like sometimes mine. It feels like negative thirty. Not sometimes with it, just temperatures. Yeah, I would be like, yeah, it would be around negative thirty, something like that, minus thirty. Okay, we go negative twenty. Yeah, that's still pretty cool. But think about the swing. So we go negative twenty Fahrenheit to 115 Fahrenheit. So I'm not good with Fahrenheit. <laughs> what, uh, what would we that be? swing about 65 degrees Celsius. 65 degrees. So so minus, six, minus 65? We, we go as low as minus 20 and as high as plus 45. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, plus 45. I, I think like, yeah, plus 45 is like. Now, keeping in mind, these are the top outs. We don't normally get, like, we will get a snap of uh, a week and a half between July and August every year where we top out at about 115 degrees Fahrenheit, which is about 45 Celsius. Oh my God, that's. That's not that's heat un, index. That sounds unbearable. It is. It's not heat index. It's not humidex. That is the temperature plus, then there's humidity on top of that. And we go so low. And that's because of the swings, we get real winter and real summer. We get Northern winter and Southern summer. Yeah. So the best of the best. <laughs> oh yeah. Now fall, yeah. that three or four weeks of fall is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The falls here are great too. But we only get about three or four weeks. Yep. That's, that's how it works. And then out of nowhere, it'll start hailing. <laughs> that's what we, we get sometimes. I will say we don't get as much snow as we used to, but we get a lot more ice storms, which are lovely. Oh, ice fun. storms are awesome. Fun uh, and then everybody yeah. forgets how to drive in the snow and that we ever had snow in this part of the country like we've had every year forever. Yeah, uh, that's but <laughs> at this point in time, I'm going to have to say that we have, we have done a good work today and we're in danger of rambling. This show is not about rambling. We're on task. Yes, that's right. Anyway, so is there anything before we go? I we are going to play one of your songs, and I forgot the name of it because I'm just that smart. Uh, why don't you introduce it since I'm really bad at this? So I believe it would be Sphinx Collector of Eyes. That is correct. What is what's special about this one? Uh, well, this song is special because it was so. So there's a few things that I really love about this song. Uh, one is that I kept the lyrics very sparse. Like I kept repeating the chorus over and over again because I wanted to give the listener the feel that they were in a battle sort of feel. Like the, I was trying to emphasize the size of Sphinx, the monster. Mm -hmm. and, what, and I was thinking about what would a monster say? Well, a monster wouldn't say a whole lot. And if I, and if I were to give the perspective of this character, it would probably just be through the emotions of being in the moment. And... Uh, you know, it's kind of just the feeling of going up against Sphinx. That's the, that's kind of the feeling that I wanted to give the listener. Like, so I'm just saying, step inside the ring of fire. You will remember the name, step inside the ring of fire, uh, never see again. And I'm just kind of repeating that over and over again. It kind of, and it kind of puts you like in this trance kind of like you're, you're not so much paying attention to what the words are saying, but you're paying attention to how the words are making you feel. And I really wanted the words to, work with the music to kind of give you the overall feeling and that was the goal of the song and i hope that um you know as you're listening to this song you can kind of feel what i was trying to communicate to the listener because it's a really special song to us as a band we're really proud of this one because um it was also um really fun to make <laughs> and uh yeah, I, I, I think overall, it's it's just a really interesting one. It has a, a desert feel to it, um, which is unique to the album as a whole. And it's it's got the classic boss battle feel to it, where, you know, it feels like you're going up like a big mammoth of a song. So um, I hope that this can help you immerse yourself in, the, in into the album as a whole. And, uh, and I hope you enjoy it. Very cool. I want to thank you very much for taking some time to be here today and have a fun conversation with me. I hope it was fun for you. It's always fun for me because I don't oh, think about it too hard. Um, yeah. But until, awesome. uh, thank you very much again, uh, Alex. Um, 
Didn't, I did not put my words together before I start talking. Uh, thank you very much, Alex. Uh, the band again is called Blood of Indigo. I will put the Facebook links and the email link if I can find it into the description and the Instagram link and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, check out the song and we will check you out next week. Thank you for listening to the Glacier Musical Podcast. It doesn't play in Peoria.